0: Hey, guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, where we try to give you as much information as we possibly can to help you navigate this unbelievably daunting landscape of cannabis cannabis that's available out there in every, every state and every different way you can think of. And my guest today has an incredible story. He lost almost 70 pounds and transitioned off of almost 19 different prescription medications, including some opioids, for an array of different medical conditions after he started consuming and growing cannabis. After experiencing such an incredible benefit for himself, he decided he wanted to do all he could to help others through the power of cannabis and the cannabis plant. He is the co founder of Alpine Stash, a premier Colorado craft cannabis grow. And he's why I'm so glad we have him here with us today. So please welcome Mr. Danny Merrill Sloat. Danny, thanks so much for being here with us today, buddy. Thank you, Montel. It's a
1: pleasure to be here.
0: Sure. Let's start start a little bit. Let's start uh, with, you know, where this really began for you. What were some of the conditions that you were dealing with that started you using cannabis and and why cannabis? What what made you decide, yeah, let me try this?
1: Yeah. So two weeks after I turned 21, I had some really bad stomach pain that landed me in the hospital uh, for five days. They couldn't really figure out what was going on. Uh, When they released me, um, they just gave me a script for Vicodin uh, I, you know, started taking that daily and followed that up with doctor's appointments, trying to figure out what was going on.
0: I'm sorry. And they never told you what the problem was.
1: They couldn't figure it out at that time. So they sort of were like, well, you know, you're doing better. You're in pain. So here's some Vicodin and, you know, follow up with your doctors to try to figure out what's going on, uh, which I did. And I got, you know, every test that they could do, you know, colonoscopies, all sorts of, X-rays, scans, you know, MRIs, that type of thing, couldn't figure out what was going on. So eventually, the gastroenterologists suggested that I see uh, a neurologist and a physiatrist. So, you know, nerve doctor and a pain doctor. Um, when I went and saw that the physiatrist in the first appointment, this was about, um, you know, six or seven months after I had been discharged. His his answer was like, well, we don't know what's going on. We'll try to figure it out, but you know, I would like to control your pain a little bit. So, you know, here, try this medication, which turned out to be fentanyl. Um, Today, you know, with the opioid crisis, there's a lot of information about fentanyl, but back then, you know, this was, you know, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, I didn't even know what it was. So I transitioned from Vicodin to fentanyl, both uh, in the immediate release form of the lollipop and in a a patch form. I spent the next number of years, you know, trying to get tests, trying different procedures. Um, they had decided that it was some some nerve problem in my back that was sort of transferring to my stomach. So, you know, I got like nerve ablations, uh, steroid injections, you know, or frequency, all sorts of different therapies and treatments to try to fix what was going on. Uh, the whole while I was on uh, fentanyl and I began to experience side effects uh, which required me to take more medication and then side effects from those medications, which was, you know, there's other medications to treat that. And uh, after a little while, I was in a pretty big medical stupor. Um, during that time frame, I did develop a nerve impingement problem uh, in my neck, which I do attribute to the opioid uses. And um, I, I, for your listeners, if you've taken chronic opioids, you begin to have you know, very deep, almost coma-like sleep. And I don't think I was tossing and turning. I was just, you know, sleeping for 16 hours, you know, in one position that began to impinge my, uh, the nerve to my arm and my neck. Uh, series of surgeries to clear that up. Uh, in that time frame, I also had non-cancerous basal skull tumor. Uh, so, you know, by the age of 29, I was pretty sedentary. I spent most of my time either going to doctor's appointments or just in bed. Uh, I had gained a ton of weight, and and like you guys said, I was on, you know, 19 different prescriptions and just really pretty hopeless. Um, At that time, it was 2009, medical cannabis was becoming uh, more accessible to the general public, at least in Colorado, and my dad actually suggested that I try that uh, sort of out of desperation, um, and I did, Uh, and that's where my journey with cannabis began. And you you had never used cannabis before that, or you hadn't been in a cannabis user before that? Yeah, I mean, I had smoked in high school. The part of the country I'm I'm from, born and raised in Boulder, Colorado, it was very liberal. Um, you know, cannabis was available and around, and I, I had smoked in high school and experimented a little bit. But after that, um, I had had a few negative experiences, especially while well, deep uh, in my opiate kind of haze, um, that just had turned me off to it. So I was I was actually hesitant to try
0: it. Uh, initially. And let me ask a question now, throughout all that time that you were going back and forth to see doctors, you went through the back pain, the ligations and all that, those things, were you still experiencing the same stomach pain throughout that entire process? Yeah, I was.
1: Um, and actually, you know, I came, came to find out that a lot of times if you have uh, chronic pain uh, of an unknown origin, especially if it's muscle or nerve pain, the more opiates you take and for the longer amount of time you take, Actually, the more pain that you're in, your body increases that pain signal. So I was experiencing the stomach pain. It would get better when I would, you know, change an opiate or increase the dose for a little while, but then it would come back. Um, and and, and a lot of
0: people, a lot of people are starting to find out and have found out. And we know for a fact that opioids were never intended for long term use, ever intended. They were originally designed for short term you know, a uh, blockage of the pain receptor. So people would be able to get on without the memory and then it would go away. But, but, you know, we got hooked up into just over, over prescribing this thing. And that's the reason why we have the opiate crisis that we have now, opioid crisis that we have now, but go ahead. Yeah. So you still experience the pain?
1: Oh yeah. And actually, you know, as I began just in my life to sort of slow down because of you know, just being in such an opioid haze, you know, 24 um, seven. And, and, you know, as you know, over time that they increase the dose and and it's, so, you know, when you're in it, it's hard to see how it was any different. It's sort of like a uh, lobster in a boiling pot. By the time, you know, you're, you're so deep in it, you don't even understand how much it's affected your life, but you begin to slow down. At least I did gain a bunch of weight, you know, stop moving all of these things, deteriorate your body. And, you know, will make, You know, any predispositions you have to joint or, you know, muscle pains, either they'll bring it out or they'll make it much worse. Um, That stagnation is, is, is
0: terrible. So your father suggested, well, you know what, you've been down this road, man. So it's time for you to try something different. You should try some medical cannabis. So did you seek out, you know, cannabis that was high in THC, high in CBD? How did you, how did you initially decide what you were going to try to titrate yourself with? Yeah, so
1: you know, at that time in 2009, at least here, there wasn't really, we didn't have that testing available. We didn't have anything reliable. Um, we, we did have dispensaries and so I got my medical card. I didn't even know, there wasn't even really a, a, a good place to find listings of, of dispensaries. I went to one, it no longer exists, and it, it was across the street from uh, Colorado University. I uh, had a giant neon sign that said Dr. Reefer with an arrow. Um, that's how I knew it was there. And that's where I went and actually got really good advice, which was to follow your nose. Um, I was very wary of, there was some literature, there was some, you know, magazines and things like that. I was very wary of, of trying something that was known for, you know, anxiety or paranoia, because those had been the issues that I had in the past. Um, but the advice to follow your nose was, was the one that I took, um, picked out a couple of different cultivars based on that and
0: went from there. Okay. And then so when you first started, you were smoking, eating, tinctures, what did you try? Yeah, I first started smoking.
1: Um, Eventually, I I tried some edibles once I got comfortable uh, with smoking. But that's where I started. You know, it was really, uh, I don't know if there are still states, I'm assuming when states open up um, for medical usage, it's still, it, it was almost like the Wild West, you know, there was like, You know, people were making cookies in their kitchen and selling them to dispensaries, and and there wasn't really um, measured, consistent product necessarily besides flour.
0: Okay, so then all right. So how long after you started trying cannabis did you start to realize you were getting some relief? Uh, I mean, it was pretty
1: immediate. Um, I mean, you know, in the whole time frame, within you know four or five months, I had gotten off. I had got myself off of every. You know all these different prescriptions. I had lost a bunch of weight, got back, uh, you know, more towards my normal self, and began to plug back into life. But um, you know, in terms of from when I first tried it to to when I began that process, you know, was probably within a week. I, you know, as, as soon as I felt actual pain relief, um, I I I should say that I my goal had been to get off. I wanted my life back. I was optimistic that it would happen and I knew within my heart that it would, I just needed a tool to create the the physical space and the emotional space to help me with that. And so, you know, I was already primed, I had already primed myself to get there. And when I found relief uh, with cannabis, it, 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 you know, it was like a light switch turned on. It was like, oh, here's something that not only takes my pain away, but can also give me, you know, the emotional space to to begin to heal that way and to plug back into life. And you know, I, I started cutting my my opiate dosage down, you know, almost immediately.
0: Well, you know, a lot of people, you know, wrongfully associate cannabis use with weight gain rather than weight loss. Now, do you think it was because of the fact that you made so many emotional improvements for yourself? It gave you an opportunity to really reflect on yourself and say, wait a second, I got to slow down the eating. I got to slow down. I mean, what really triggered the weight loss in you so quickly? Yeah, well,
1: I think that, you know, genetics had played a large part. I I had always been fairly skinny growing up. Um, When I began to take the opiates, you know, just having such a sedentary lifestyle that, uh, I mean, I was, you know, it was literally, you know, in a given week, I I probably spent, you know, four days, you know, either in bed or in front of a computer screen, you know, straight. Um, And then with, you know, people say cannabis gives you the munchies but opiates nothing compares to opiates for me at least um and then just being sedentary um and depressed for sure so uh the other thing that happened when i made my first medical cannabis purchases i got a clone um i had always enjoyed gardening and so i decided to to try this and as i began to find relief i really focused my energy on uh growing and uh i didn't know what i was doing and i made a ton of mistakes but one of them was you know, a giant. I had an indoor tent and a giant light, and that that space was really hot. So, you know, actually moving, taking care of something, being in in really uh, like a hot room, um, you know, it was pretty physically exhausting for me, and, and that contributed to the weight loss uh, for sure. But you know, getting up, getting moving, getting positive, um, you know, embracing life, all these things that cannabis had had brought into my life, um really is what did it and certainly getting off medication.
0: And you got a clone of the particular strain that was giving you the most benefit.
1: No, actually um, he just gave, this guy gave away free clones and, and uh, it's it's kind of a funny story. You know, he was one of the first to do this and he, he was pretty scared of other people actually growing cannabis. So he gave away clones, which are hermaphrodited, um, produced male flowers, which would seed, Uh, anybody else's room. So they're kind of, you know, uh, like undercover traps. Um, So when I did end up flowering them, it was terrible. And I had to move on to different uh, cultivars that I could get my hands on. But, um, you know, that I had to start somewhere. And that was a good place as any to start.
0: And that got you hooked in the growing world, right? Absolutely.
1: And for me, that was as therapeutic um, as ingesting. Uh, cannabis itself, you know, taking care of something that was alive, putting energy into it that would reflect back onto me and in, in my healing journey um, and really figuring, uh, really finding that there was, you know, a future for me and something that I could do that uh, I was passionate about uh, and and pursue that as a career was really, really rewarding. And it, it gave me, uh, you know, a, a reinforcement that I was on the right path, but also, the drive
0: to improve myself. Well, how did the doctors respond? Your doctors, the doctors you have been seeing now for years, how did they respond to the fact that you were finally getting relief through something that they weren't prescribing? Yeah, well, so
1: the day that I had my medical marijuana doctor evaluation, I actually uh, coincidentally had an appointment with my family doctor that I had been seeing since I was like 13. And they had more or less an intervention with me. I, I was about to get uh, another surgery to fix my, uh, my nerve pain, and I don't know how much of it they believed that I was in. And they told me, either you're leaving this meeting um, and going to some sort of uh, inpatient treatment center, you know, we'll find you on where they do physical therapy and stuff like that. But you know in their mind, I, I think that they were they had thought that most of my pain issues were either made up or, you know, drug seeking behavior. So they said, either you do this or we're not seeing you anymore. And so I left that meeting uh, very disheartened. And um, I understand that they were very frustrated with the situation, but I went from that meeting to my medical marijuana doctor evaluation. And I didn't see those doctors for for three or four years um, after that. I I eventually went back uh, to that practice and saw a different doctor. and, And I'll never forget That first appointment, when I was in the hall getting my weight checked, and my other doc, my old doctor, walked past me. It looked like he had seen a ghost. I mean, he was just totally stunned and taken aback with with such an improvement. And now, when I go there, and since then, when I whenever I go see them, they 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 ask me questions. They ask, you know, uh, we have this patient. Do you think, you know, how do you think I should introduce that to them? I mean, it was such a big improvement. Um, You know, through all the doctors that I had seen, that I became the person that they turned to for questions. And, and really, I think was, you know, success story that they shared with other patients.
0: So, I mean, what prompted you to turn your activism and your own self therapy into a business? I mean, you, you were the co-founder of Alpine Stash, along with your wife. I mean, what really prompted you to say, well, I think I know enough now I'm going to get into this as a business. Um, well, you know, when I, I had
1: spent so long without, A drive or a goal or a passion. And I wanted so badly to do something with my life. And when I, because I had uh, a negative mindset about cannabis before I used it medicinally for a while, and I found, you know, how much it helped me, I thought, you know, if I get really good at this, this is legit. And if I get really good at this, this can be a career for me. And this, you know, and and I I always wanted to do something I was passionate about. I didn't want to just. You know, have a career for the sake of having a career, and so I thought. You know, I, I naturally have the desire to whatever I'm doing to do it the best that I can. And I thought, if I devote myself to this and learn as much as I can, you know, four, five, six years from now, um, I, I can I can make a life for myself and I can make a career for myself that I find rich and rewarding, and I can bring the products that help me to other people. I can bring the knowledge that I found to other people and it, it will be, you know, emotionally, spiritually satisfying, and hopefully financially satisfying. And so I just directed everything I had, you know, to that end.
0: So now, so you developed your brand, which is Alpine Stash. Are you, do you grow for a specific product that you put on other dispensary shelves or do you provide raw cannabis uh, to other dispensaries? Talk a little bit about your business. Yeah, absolutely. So we're
1: a you know, very small craft grow. Um, uh, I, I own it with my wife. We have two full-time employees and one part-time employee. Um, everything we do, we do by hand. Uh, we hand water, we hand trim, we cure in glass. Um, you know, we, we have a breeding program. We make our own uh, unique cultivars, and these are all available. Uh, on our end, we're a wholesale grow, so we do sell to retail dispensaries, uh, and that's how the, the public can can pick them up.
0: Okay. And, and now you've been up and running. How's the business going? Is it going well?
1: Yeah. So we, we started in, uh, we got licensed in 2014. We were able to start getting our plants in, in 2015 and, uh, it was definitely, uh, rough. I mean, we are a small company, you know, we don't have a huge budget. Uh, you know, I more or less had no idea what I was doing with business. Um, my wife helped out a ton, um, you know, especially with sales, which was huge for us. Um, and really, as a team, we just, you know, slowly built the brand. And um, within the last year, it's really, uh, sales have really improved and we begin, we've begin begun to take off and, and actually now we're looking towards expanding. Um, and we were in the process of doing that before uh, COVID-19 hit, which just sort of slowed everything down to almost a standstill. So we're still moving towards that direction. It's just painfully slow, but, you know, we've really seen the emergence of uh, an educated consumer base and, and the demand for, you know, truly connoisseur uh, high-end cannabis, um, not just the demand for it, but the knowledge of what it is. So, you know, people going in and not just necessarily buying the most expensive thing or necessarily trusting a bud tender to steer them in the right direction, but actually knowing themselves, you know, what a, what a good, what good flower is.
0: That's good. And clearly your your product or your, your plants are tested. So what is your, what's your range? Or do you, do you uh, try to grow products that are high in THC, high in CBD, specific strains, or what do you, what do you try to grow? Uh, we do all of it. I
1: mean, you know, for us, you know, as growers, variety is the spice of life. We really enjoy, uh, you know, doing new cultivars, especially since we breed, uh, we create, but we we grow everything from, you know, 20 to one CBD, uh, cultivars all the way up to, you know, uh, very high THC. And, and we try to do a range. I mean, there are, uh, you know, every cannabis user is unique and looking for something unique. And some of them are looking for high hitting THC strains. Some of them are looking for kind of more mellow, going ones. Some of them are looking for, you know, CBD medicinal ones. And, and really we, you know, we, we try to have a good selection and we try to just offer the highest quality product we can.
0: And we know that there are people out there that will enjoy all of it. Well, let me tell uh, Danny, I gotta take a little break. And for all of you who have been listening, uh, we've been talking to Mr. Danny Murr Sloat, who is a cannabis user entrepreneur himself, uh, who got into the cannabis field for his own personal medical reasons and then turned it into a business to make sure he could help others. I'm gonna take a little break, pay a couple of bills, and we'll be back right after this. Well, you're listening to Let's Be Blunt with Montel, and thanks so much for joining us today. Our guest today is Mr. Danny Merz-Sloat, who is the co-founder of Alpine Stash, a premier Colorado craft cannabis grow that uh, is a wholesaler that, that provides cannabis to several of the dispensaries and, and a unique you know, uh, take on the market because he is actually growing a uh, unique product to make sure he fulfills the needs of a lot of people who are looking for specific strains that they provide. So Danny, again, thanks so much for being with us today, my friend. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's been a pleasure so far. So, you, know, you know, we're listened to in, you know, hopefully in all 50 states, and right now we only have 37 states in the District of Columbia that, or 36 states in the District of Columbia that have passed some sort of cannabis bill. So your product is only available right now in Colorado, is that correct?
1: That is correct. And as far as I know, there. while there are brands that have branched out nationally, uh, there is no national distribution, you know, it's still uh, federal fence across state lines.
0: Sure. You'd have to end up establishing your brand in each individual state with a product that's grown in each individual state. Do you envision yourself uh, uh, expanding your business that way? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I would love to
1: do some form of that. You know, I, I feel like uh, we've been really slow to grow. We want to make sure that we, we build a solid foundation and and really have every, you know, everything in place to make sure that we are successful. And I feel like, um, you know, sooner or later, there will be able to be national distribution. um, And and that's probably uh, if if we're available, you know, we're so small that we even in Colorado, we often sell out of whole harvests and, you know, ours, uh, like I said, my wife, my wife, Kristen does sales, and she's just amazing at it. Um, And so I mean, if you know, if we're, if there is national distribution, and we are Able to supply outside of Colorado. I mean, we certainly would love to. Um, who knows if there's opportunities to expand uh, our brand's presence uh, in different states? But you know, right now we're just focused on you know doing the best that we can
0: do uh, in our current market. And and you know, in the current market, what do you think uh, is going on where, uh, right now? Again, you talk a little bit about the difficulties you've run into because of COVID-19.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, initially uh, when, when, when COVID 19 started um, and, and the lockdown started, there was a rush of people to purchase uh, cannabis, you know, people that were going to be you know, sheltering in place uh, or staying home. And uh, it, it was a booming time for, for the dispensaries, for the storefronts. But on, on the wholesale side, uh, our, our customers were so, uh, the stores were so panicky, nobody knew if they were going to stay open. How that was going to look that that really uh, prices dropped um, for us and so you know it was it's been a bit of a difficult time uh, we've been really uh, you know having to be really uh, penny wise and um, you know it's like I said earlier we we have been uh, we've been uh, doing an expansion um, but that's really slowed down we had hoped to have uh, that up and running fully built out up and running by. You know June or July, and now we're looking at uh, next January. Um, However, overall, you know we were deemed an essential business, uh, which is an amazing point in and of itself, and we have been able to keep going. You know we're we have a big enough facility, but a small enough crew that we're able to social distance and and follow all those guidelines. And so overall, we we really feel that we're lucky that we while we did take a bit of a financial hit, um, we're able to survive and keep going. And and now. Uh, we're seeing the market kind of raise back up again. And so, uh, you know, we're, we feel like we're in a good place and we're just happy that we stayed open.
0: You've seen that demand has not fallen. I've, I've been talking to people lately and it appears that, you know, people are, even as they're sequestered away, you know, they've been relying very heavily on delivery services and trying to get through dispensaries and get a supply for a period of time. But it seems as if you know I think people are starting to make a decision that maybe you know alcohol is not the way to go when you're sitting at home alone, and cannabis is and so do you think that uh, there's a uh, a rise in the level of users of cannabis out there right now? yeah, absolutely i and you know it, it it's
1: any anything that your average person can do to relax and unwind uh, is is good in general as long as it's healthy and um especially during uh you know this this time in life, um, there are starting to be some, you know, some people looking at cannabis' effectiveness in preventing COVID-19. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with, I know Forbes just released an article about it. There's research going in, in Canada. So that's really awesome. Um, and I think that the fact that in so many states and especially in Colorado, uh, cannabis businesses have been deemed essential, I think is really, you know, that's also boosting people's you know, comfortability with it and, and kind of decreasing the stigma. I mean, it was uh, when that shelter in place order went into effect in Colorado, it began in Denver. And initially they said uh, retail cannabis uh, would be closed, medical would stay open, but retail would be closed. There was such uh, an immediate backlash that within two hours they came back on and said, no, these businesses will be deemed essential and will remain open.
0: Yeah, I mean, kind I believe and I think like a lot of people who are in the industry believe and understand that, you know, those who are seeking cannabis through a, you know, not recreational, but I'd say adult use outlet yeah. are literally self-medicating anyway. So I think the majority of people who turn to cannabis versus turning to alcohol are turning to that because they have some sort of underlying medical issue that they're trying to address, even if they don't know they're trying to address it. Absolutely, and stress and anxiety,
1: um, you know, and depression can be those underlying uh, issues as well. And and for me, and for so many people that I've seen, you know, cannabis promotes uh, a healthy lifestyle. I feel like um, mo- many people that that are, are users of cannabis almost push back against the the stigma of of cannabis causing an unhealthy lifestyle. And so, you know, especially in a place like Colorado where we have such a large outdoor uh, you know, recreational, uh, seeing the mountains and hiking and camping and jogging and running and yoga and all that stuff. Like, you know, these are all things that cannabis really enhances. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you're much more likely to go
0: enjoy a nice stroll. Uh, if you smoke some bud. What do you think of that recent article that was out? I'm trying, I was trying to search it out myself. I couldn't find it in my, in my, any of my cues, but recent article where the federal government came out and uh, I think it was the DOJ came out and tried to, have doctors um, state that anybody using cannabis is, is really only doing so because they should be included on a list of, you know, dangerous drug users. So what do you think about that? That's ridiculous. I
1: mean, you know, I, you've had such a healing experience with cannabis. I've had such a healing experience with cannabis. I mean, you know, uh, anybody that suggests it's either, you know, they're still stuck in, in the, the reefer madness mindset or they have the interests of pharmaceutical companies, the prison industrial complex, you know, that's where they're coming from.
0: Yeah, it's been crazy that, 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 even literally perpetuated itself. I just don't understand where this mindset is coming from, especially when it comes out of the mouths of people who will go to a event in the evening and bang down three or four cocktails.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, Fortunately slash unfortunately, I have experienced very little pushback. And I say unfortunately, because there are some times that I just really want to get into a heated debate with somebody about how healing and healthy cannabis is versus pretty much everything else, because the the, the facts, uh, especially with my particular case are, are undisputable. I mean, I, you know, the pictures that that exist of me in in when I was, you know, using opiates are just such a night and day difference. The first time my wife uh, went over to my parents' house, uh, you know, and met my parents, she actually she said, "Who's this picture of your brother?" Um, and it was a picture of me. It was just you know ninety pounds heavier and you know sickly looking. It, it's such a night and day difference for so many people um, that that you know it's there. There isn't a debate. It, if, if there if somebody disagrees, generally you know anything they state is not fact. It's been debunked and anywhere they come from is either in the interest of, you know, big corporations that, that lose uh, from cannabis uh, or just, you know, fear and paranoia
0: uh, that's deep seated uh, in this culture. So what's the next? What, what, do you have anything new coming down the pike? What, what should we expect out of, uh, uh, out of Alpine Slash or out of Danny? What should we expect? Yeah. You know uh,
1: we're, our expansion is going to be big for us uh, that will allow us to have uh, enough space and enough uh, flowering capacity to actually have our product available on a consistent basis as it is now, you know, we have a harvest, which takes about three months. We sell out pretty much immediately. And then, you know, usually waits another three months. So we're really looking forward to, uh, you know, having more of a consistent availability of product. Um, We're also looking to really, of brand. I'm sorry, do you do indoor and outdoor grow or something? We just, we just do indoors. Yeah. Our license, when we, when we got in, it was, there's not very many places in most cities around where we live to do outdoor grows. So, so we are indoor. Okay. Um, you know, another thing we're looking to do is, uh, really brand some of our unique cultivars and sort of push that, push that Lemmy Winks, um, Cookie Confundo, Orange Chemsicle, uh, and and related crosses with those um, we have a lot of merchandise in the works and then the other big thing that 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 we're really passionate about is educating people uh on on growing their own um cannabis at home and so to that end we have a youtube series uh which we're gonna be uh doing more videos on that so that people during this time you know who uh you know, maybe they need something in their life you know a new hobby they can be self-reliant with cannabis. They're at home. I mean, really, for us, uh, sharing our knowledge that we've gained and our passion for growing is really important. As is being transparent and empowering people to grow their own. So that's another big kind of push that we have in the works.
0: Absolutely. And how about it? what do you think is coming down the pike next for you know the color? Colorado has been leading the way. A lot of a lot of states have been trying their best to replicate. And I understand is Colorado. You, did you just recently get a little bit of a tax break on product, or no? No. Oh, uh, I, I thought there was yeah. a discussion about lowering taxes in Colorado. Um, you know, the, the the consumer might,
1: but uh, on our the taxes
0: that we pay as a wholesale grow have definitely not lowered. Okay, and now uh, do you do you still see that? That's is that going to eventually drive the business back underground? Uh, you know, I, I don't think so um,
1: you know, we are, we are taxed at a 20% rate, um, for excise tax. Uh, you know, I have mixed feelings about that. Uh, 15% of that excise tax goes to the state. A lot of that is, is, is for, you know, the enforcement of cannabis, uh, laws. And, um, however, some of it is going for very good things, you know, school and education and homeless shelters, uh, and, and things like that. And then, Five percent of our taxes is to the local city, and that we're all for because, you know, especially during COVID nineteen, you know, they need as much revenue as they can get, and we're happy to help uh, enrich the community uh, with our presence. And, um, you know, I, 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 I don't think it's going back underground by any means. I don't think it's in anybody's best interest to increase taxes, and I think that the industry, for the most part, has learned to live with the tax
0: rate that we have. Great, great. Well, I got to tell you something that I know all of our listeners were probably really, really happy to have heard from you today and happy to, to listen to your perspective. I can't thank you enough for having been a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And again, you've been listening to Mr. Danny Mercelot, who is the founder of Al- Alpine Stash in Colorado. So if you happen to be in Colorado visiting or you're having to be there hunkered down trying to see if you can You know, uh, practice good mitigation techniques. Uh, If you send somebody out to a dispensary to pick up a product, make sure you pick up something from Alpine Stash. So thanks so much, Danny, for being a part of the show today. I really appreciate the chance to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. And and I'd
1: just like to point out, you know, we we do do all of our, uh, you know, release information on our Instagram. So follow us uh, at Alpine Stash. And, you know, you can check our website, alpinestash.com. And if you want to learn how to grow, um, check out our YouTube channel. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. We'd love to have you back in a future date. So we'll reach out to you. And I can't say thank you enough for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Make sure you tune in to the next Let's Be Blunt with Montel.